0: Thank you, Sam, and thanks again for the opportunity of being with you. Um, if Annie Topsy was here and still alive, some of you will know Annie Topsy, who spent almost her entire life as a missionary at Amiwara, and uh, she used to call those Aboriginal boys and girls her kids, her children, and uh, so she would encourage you, like Sam did, to make sure that this is an annual event to, to go back to Amiwara, so I can encourage you to do that too. And isn't it wonderful to see young people and little boys and girls singing God's word, singing to praise to God and if you think about that, we all need to be like children, don't we? That's what Jesus said, that we can't enter the children of God and yes, we have that simple faith to believe and to trust and rest in him. Heather brings, uh, sends her greetings. Um, she would like to have been with us but she's in uh, Halls Gap at the moment taking the studies for the ladies' convention for CWCI up there but we've got lots of family and friends here and she wanted to bring her greetings so indeed, thank you. How many of you got a phone in your pocket? I had my phone in my pocket a week ago and I got a text and uh, opened it up and it had a picture. It was a picture of a tree and, uh, and this person was in Sydney and said to me, Keith, what's this tree called? I want to put one of these in my garden. And uh, I've trained as a forester. I enjoy identifying trees and I looked at it and thought, yes, I know what that tree is. But I sent a text back and said, hey, take another photo. Take a photo of the leaves and of the fruit or the nuts and I'll send that back just so I can confirm what sort of tree it is. And so Julie, within a few minutes, uh, another photo came back and uh, sure enough, I was able to text back and say, yeah, that's an Angophora costata. You know what that is, don't you? <laughs> of course. But the interesting thing is, is that you would have thought it was a gum tree. You would have called it a eucalypt. But the thing that distinguishes the difference between an Angophora and a, and a eucalypt is, is that it has gum nuts, as you would call them, but it doesn't have a covered nut. So that's why a eucalypt's a eucalypt. It's got a little gum nut. It's got a little, a little cap on all of the nuts. Whereas if you go and grab an Angophora costard, and I can point one of those at you, I should have seen, see if there was one outside, but it doesn't have a cap on it. So it's really clear. You can tell the difference between every tree by the fruit that it produces. And this morning we continue on in the series that you've been having on discipleship. And uh, we want to look at the evidence of being a disciple this morning because this is number three. You'll recall Lee spoke on what? (laughs) Lee spoke two weeks ago on the identity of a disciple, about knowing who we are and being in Christ. How do I know that? I had a listen on the website. It's great. How many of you use the podcasting on your website? It's just excellent to listen to. So thank you. For the people that put that up, it gives me the opportunity. But Lee talked about the importance of knowing who we are in Christ if we're going to be his disciple. And then last week, what did Brett speak on? The cost of discipleship. discipleship. Indeed, he spoke on the cost of discipleship and that we need to think through what it means to follow after Jesus. And this morning... We're going to spend some time thinking about the evidence of discipleship, of being one who follows Jesus. Okay, in our passage, and you can see it reflected, these are the two main verses that um, kick us off in terms of thinking about the evidence of being a disciple. And it says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one for another. This isn't the only place where Jesus says that we are to love one another as a command. Indeed, in John 15, a couple of chapters over in verse 17 or in 1 John chapter 3 in verse 23, it says the same thing. So what does it mean? What does it look like? If this is a key piece of the evidence that we belong to Jesus Christ and that we're his disciples, what does it mean? Matthew seven, in verse sixteen and in verse twenty, Jesus said it twice, so it must have been important. He said, By their fruit you will know them. And he used the example of two trees. You know, can you get good fruit off a thorn bush? No, indeed. The fruit of the tree tells you what sort of tree it is. In Galatians 5 and verse 22, you could quote it for me, couldn't you? It says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness and self-control. Indeed. So, here we've got this... Thought love is the fruit of what it means to be a disciple, but indeed, what is love? What is it? If we had a good definition, one John four eight says God is love. So quite clearly, hmm, that's a that's an interesting description. God's got lots of descriptive words, hasn't he? But the very essence of what love is is God. And in 1 John 4.9 it says this is love, not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And 1 John 3.16 says this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. John 14 and 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 15 and verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another. So it seems pretty clear, doesn't it, that the evidence of being a disciple is is that we love one another. But, But what does that look like? How do we work that out? What do we see in each other as we think about that? You know, Ephesians, uh, Galatians 5, as we've talked about, the fruit of the Spirit. And if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I don't know whether you've ever compared verses 4 to 8 with Galatians 5, 22 to 25, but it is really interesting that the fruit of the Spirit almost matches up perfectly with the descriptors of love that come from 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in love is kind, love is patient, love doesn't envy, those things together. So we know them but are these things evident in our lives? Just let's step back one. What's a disciple? What is a disciple? We've been hearing about it for the last couple of weeks. I want you to remember three things. If you only remember three things, This morning, these are the things that I want you to remember. A disciple is one who follows. A disciple is one who follows someone. Secondly, a disciple is one who learns from, who is taught by. A disciple is one who learns from. And thirdly, a disciple is one who imitates models, copies, as it were, his or her master. And so if you think about this, in Jesus' day a rabbi would get a band of followers together and they would go and actually live together and they would follow him around and they would sit together and while they were walking they would talk and they would be taught, they would learn from him. And then you could always tell whose students belonged to which rabbi because they copied him they imitated him they used the same sorts of stories they believed the same sorts of things they spoke in the same sorts of ways indeed they imitated him and so if we are disciples of Jesus Christ these are three things that should be evident in our lives where to follow where to learn from and where to imitate. So indeed, following, learning and imitating. If we're going to follow, I wanted to take the verse that Brett talked about last week. It says, If anyone will come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And I think Brett outlined it pretty well last week. We think that we can be a disciple without counting the cost. The definition of a disciple means that we can't be. What we are, I'm not quite sure. But if we're not counting the cost and if we're not denying ourselves and if we're not following after Jesus, then we're not a disciple. We might be someone who believes in him and knows about him But if we're genuinely a disciple of Jesus Christ it means that we will have begun. We will have joined his band. We will have attached ourselves to following after him. It's interesting, isn't it, that I was reading something on Facebook just a couple of weeks ago and it was about footprints. And We know about footprints, don't we? That there's the time... You look and you see in the picture that there's two footprints walking side by side and then there's a gap, only one set of footprints and then there's uh, two footprints working along together. Well this said that there was another section where there was one set of footprints and there was a big scrape mark like a stick dragging along in the sand beside them. And the conversation goes, well Lord, you know, what's the story of this is my life and well there we were walking side by side and then when it was really difficult and uh, you weren't coping, that's where I carried you. Yeah but what about the bit where there's just one set of footprints and the skid mark? He said well that's where I had to drag you, kicking and screaming along the way that I wanted you to go. Now in reality we know that Jesus doesn't do that. But as we were reminded, there's times when we don't want to go on an Amiwara mission trip but we know it's the right thing to do and there needs to be some sort of encouragement and persuasion along the way. It means that we need to think about that. And so how do we follow Jesus? You know, this is a large room. There's a lot of people here. Some of you, most of you will be following Jesus. But there'll be someone that hasn't, just because of the numbers, come to that point of being able to say, yes, Lord, I want to follow you. I want to join, as it were, your band. And we follow Jesus because he loves us and because he saves us and as we heard on the screen, those four simple things, that Jesus made us and that he came and he died for us so that we might choose to follow after him. But there's that choice of having to reach out and take that gift. How do we begin? Matthew 7, we enter in at the narrow gate for broad is the way and wide is the gate that leads to destruction but narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. So let me ask you a clear question. Are you following Jesus? Have you started on the road to following him? There can be no evidence, there can be no fruit of being a disciple unless you've begun on the road. And I'm sure I might have mentioned this before. I can remember a number of years ago, a church that I was involved in. There was a man who came to the Lord. He'd been to church all his life and he was in his 60s. He'd heard so many messages. He lived the life. But it wasn't until in his 60s that the penny dropped, that the Holy Spirit actually connected with his spirit and he actually put his faith and trust in Jesus. Are we following after Jesus? Secondly, are we learning? Are we learning from him? Matthew 11 and 29 A disciple is one, Jesus said, who takes my yoke upon you and learns from me and you'll find rest for your souls. Indeed, are we learning? Do we want to learn? Or are we resting on what we were taught many, many years ago? Did we read God's word this morning? Did we reflect on it during this week? Did we share it with someone about something new that God has taught us through his spirit? We've got to choose to put ourselves in that place of learning. We've got to choose to walk along the way with him and hear him talk to us of sitting down and having those conversations. And Graham reminded us this morning that what we're doing is we're considering Jesus. That's what learning is. In verse 3 of Hebrews chapter 12, consider Jesus who endured such opposition from sinful man. Why? So that we won't be discouraged and that we won't lose heart and we won't give up. Are you tempted to give up this morning? You really didn't want to come to church this morning? You just wonder sometimes, What really is it all about? Does it really make a difference in my life? Or am I just enjoying the fellowship and being part of a good club? That It's just great but it's not genuinely what I'm really about. I'd much rather be learning taekwondo or being at the gym or doing something else. You see, if we're committed to something, we'll learn all there is about it. My brother-in-law, I spent time installing in the roof. You can see a bump but anyhow it's all healed now but um, of putting central heating in the ceiling of the home. But I have read the instruction manual and the installation directions from cover to cover so that I understand really clearly how that system works and I know now. You see, God has given us his work, his word, for us to know what we're to do and how we're to live for him. and Lee reminded us two weeks ago that we need to remember who we are and the only way that we do that remembering is we get together and we reflect and we remember and we recall and we read and we talk about it and those memories get built on so that we know just who we actually are. You know, the psalmist in Psalm 119 and verse 97 said this. I wonder whether you can say this. Listen to it with me I love your law, I meditate on it day and night. I meditate on it day and night. I meditate on it all day long. You know, if we want to know about someone, we study their writings, don't we? We might listen to their actions, we might listen to what they say and we uh, look at their actions. You know, Jesus, as the Son of God, as the Word of God, actually quoted the Word of God to Satan, didn't he? Remember in that battle that was there, the temptation of Jesus that he actually quoted God's word. He applied it in his battle for temptation. You know, what's so important about learning is that it's cognitive, that that we engage with it and so that we understand something new and then we choose to put it into practice. No learning can take place without that cognition, without that recognition, without that... Learning and being put into practice. You see, and so Jesus said in Matthew 7 and 24, whoever listens to my words and puts them into practice is like a what? A house built on the rock. That when the winds come and the storms come and the difficulties of life, the actual house stands. How are we going? in our lives at the moment. We've had a great time at Amiwara and there are times in our lives, isn't there, when life is a real joy in following after Jesus. But Jesus also said in in John chapter 15 that if you follow me, you're going to have persecution and you're going to have trouble. And he said just remember that a servant's not greater than the master, so if I've had trouble, you know, you're going to have trouble too. And there will be situations that you've actually experienced or experiencing. How are you standing up underneath it as a disciple of Jesus Christ? Can I tell you that you won't stand up very well unless you actually study God's word and know it and apply it You know, Paul said in 2 Timothy 2.15 to study, to show yourself approved unto God. I've got a computer just like you. Well, it's actually an iPad. And it's funny when you're writing things out that all of a sudden, you know, you'll check a word to re-spell it. You know, it says spelling and it'll give you an option or it'll have next to it, learn. Do you have that on yours? And you can take the option of, you know, clicking learn and it puts that word into the dictionary. It learns along the way. I wonder how we're going. Do we have a learn button or a learn button to push that says that yes we're experiencing this and yes thank you Lord, learn I've learned something and I can now put it in to my kit bag and I can understand that something different has now happened for me. I'm sure many of you are involved in a Bible study but if you're not, can I encourage you to be? Let's have a show. How How many of you actually weekly are involved in a Bible study with someone where you're actually reading the Word, answering some questions and, um, and then sharing that together? How many of you? Yeah? Fortnightly, fortnightly. Yeah, so there's quite a few of us which is great but there's a lot that aren't. But what's really important is is that if this is important to us, if we are going to show that we're disciples of Jesus Christ, we have to learn from God's word. You know, how many of you meet for a coffee every week? You know, I have lots of cups of coffee but I don't know at this point that I have a deliberate cup of coffee where I talk about what I'm learning from God's word. I have plenty of work meetings over a coffee to talk through things but I was thinking about this and saying that's something we could do, isn't it? How hard would that to be that just one coffee that we have during the week, we all have several a day I'm sure, maybe, but to actually say yep yeah, we'll get together for a cup of coffee just to talk about what we've been learning from God's word. If you're a student at university, AFES this, um, this year are actually running what's called the Uncover Program. And they've actually got little printed new test- uh, uh, copies of the Gospel of Luke, and they're encouraging all of their students to get together um, with someone who isn't a believer just to read God's Word together. There's lots of helps, lots of websites, lots of other things, and you know, those sorts of things that uh, make it, I suppose, attractive from a technology point of view. But essentially it's about getting people to read the word of God. Can I ask you, are you following? Have you joined the band? Are you learning? And we should be able to identify at least something each week, something new that we have learned. And finally the disciple is one who imitates. It's interesting the context of these verses that by this everyone will know that you're my disciples is in chapter 13. Chapter 13 is in the upper room. Chapter 13 is when Jesus is preparing to go to the cross. Chapter 13 is when he says this is my greatest achievement because it says now is the Son of Man glorified. Sure he was when he was raised from the dead but he was glorified when he was lifted up on the cross. His glorification. And so he says, as I've loved you, you've got to love me or you've got to love each other. And here he showed them an illustration, didn't he, at the start of chapter 13. He got down and he washed their feet. And he said, if I as your teacher and master wash your feet, you should wash one another's feet. So what does that look like for you? I don't think it means to actually wash each other's feet. I know that sometimes you know church services have actually done that or there's been, you know, a significant event and you might have been part of one of those and that's been very meaningful. But bluntly, that's not what it means, is it? To literally wash each other's feet. But What does it actually mean? In 1 John 3.16 it goes on a little bit further about saying Jesus laid down his life for us and it says this, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Boy, that's challenging isn't it? I've got some resources. Do I see a brother or a sister in need? Am I prepared to help them? Am I prepared to share some of that hard-earned cash with them? Or is it only after I've been able to do all the things that I do? It's interesting. We're all being encouraged to give, aren't we, to the disaster in Kathmandu. How many of us are giving till it hurts? Maybe we've given something But is it just like the change out of the pocket or is it something that's significant? And I'm not saying that we've got to give to there but what I am saying is that God's word says that if we've got resources that we can help our brothers and sisters and we're challenged to do that and we don't do it, bluntly John says the love of God isn't in us. So the evidence of being a disciple Is not there. Now that's a hard word, isn't it? Because in the Western world, we're pretty independent in the way that we manage our resources. Dear children, let us not love with word or tongue, but with actions and in truth. No, indeed. What we're to do is to produce the fruit of the spirit and it looks like it's got clothes on Colossians 3 and verse 12 therefore as god as god's chosen people holy and dearly loved clothe yourselves with compassion kindness humility gentleness and patience bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Ladies, I'm sure the men did too. When you got up this morning you opened the wardrobe, didn't you? And you put on some clothes and you didn't just throw on what first came in, did you? Without telling tales, I mean I usually can put on one set of clothes at the start of the day and that's what I'm going to wear. But I don't know. I notice that um, my partner, my wife, can actually go in and come out and say, no, 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 this isn't right and I'll put something else on and do that two or three times. (laughs) I I wonder if when we get up in the morning that we go to our wardrobe and we choose deliberately to say, I need to put on forgiveness. I need today because of what I'm going to be involved in, I need to put on compassion. Or because of what I'm involved in today, I know there's going to be that difficult situation with that other person that I don't get on with that I'm going to need patience. And so I select out and put on patience. You see, and then all of a sudden we look at each other, don't we, and the things that we're wearing make a statement about it. Some people even go to the extent, don't they, of tattoos are a really popular thing nowadays to make a statement that they have permanently on there that they want people to know about them, something that's important, someone that's important, whatever that might be. You see, if we are disciples of Jesus Christ, the clothes that we wear figuratively will demonstrate to others that we are followers of Jesus Christ. What's your wardrobe like? Have you cleaned it out for winter, put all the summer clothes away and got it all, and you need to buy one or two new things because you need a new jacket to go with that? I wonder if you wouldn't mind you could put this verse on the front shelf of your wardrobe so that every time you go into your wardrobe to get dressed at the start of the day. But you're encouraged to think about what will people see of me today that will give evidence that Jesus is living within me and I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. You see, where to imitate Jesus. I had the opportunity of studying overseas at a Bible college and I remember having a great lecturer, really enjoyed him, learnt a lot from him and I can remember within the first six months after coming back I went to a lecture that was given when I was living in Bendigo at the time and I went to this lecture um, that was being given by a, uh, a local person who was from the BCB here presenting on Daniel. And Heather was with me and we sat through that lecture and really were encouraged and challenged and enjoyed it. But at the end of the lecture we looked at each other and we said, who does he remind you of? And we both immediately said, Gordon, this lecturer that we'd had when we were studying back overseas. So much so that I went up to Ricky and I said to him, I said, that was really challenging and encouraging but I just want you to know that you just reminded me so much of Gordon. And he looked at me and a smile came across his face. He went back and picked up his Bible off the lectern and he brought his Bible to me and he opened it up and there in the front of it was a photo of Gordon with Ricky as a young student. He said, Gordon's my mentor. He said, I've modelled my teaching ministry on Gordon. Gordon. And I could see it. It was amazing, from the other side of the world, just because of the mannerisms, the way that God worked through him, when people look at us, can they see a picture of Jesus? Are they reminded of Jesus? You remind me of someone this morning. You remind me of Jesus, where to imitate. Jesus. A couple was at our church recently and I was chatting with Kathy, the lady afterwards and we were just talking about these sorts of things and she shared this story and she said, you know I was in the queue, a very long queue at the bank and I was right at the front, just two or three to go until I got there and I saw a woman came in with a frame and was limping in obvious pain and went to the end of the queue. Being a nurse, she said, I went and I I back up to her and I said, listen, you come down and take my place and and I'll I'll take your place because you're in obvious pain and it's going to be a long time before you can get to the front. The lady was grateful and did that. and It took quite some time for the queue to get through and Cathy finally did and, and actually went to go out of the bank and there was the lady. Just sitting, waiting to talk to her, and the lady said, "Why did you do that?" And she said, "Well, I could see you were in pain, you know, and that was a, the right thing to do." No, she said, "Why did you do it?" She said, "Well, I'm a nurse, I'm a trained nurse, and that's what I do. I help people." She said, "No, come on, why did you really do that? No one does that." And always forced Kathy to say, "Well, it's because I'm a follower of Jesus, and that's what Jesus would have done." It's a simple thing, isn't it? But do we pause and think in our daily lives about what it means to imitate Jesus? What did Jesus say? He said, I'm the vine and you are the branches. You can't bear fruit unless you remain in me. But if a man remains in me and I in him, he'll bear much fruit. Let me close with a story that Tony Campolo told. Tony Campolo, who I have enjoyed his ministry over many years as a professor and a, and a lecturer at a Bible college, Eastern Bible College, and as a pastor, he said a few years ago you know, he flew to Hawaii to speak at a conference. And this is the way he tells it. He checks into his hotel and he tries to get some sleep. Unfortunately, his internal clock wakes him up at 3am The night's dark, the streets are silent, the world's asleep but Tony's wide awake and his tummy is growling and so he gets up and he prowls the streets looking for a place to get some bacon and eggs for an early breakfast. Everything's closed except a grungy dive down an alley. He goes in and he sits down at the counter and the fat guy behind the counter comes over and says, what do you want? Well, Tony isn't so hungry anymore so eyeing some donuts under a plastic cover he says, I'll have a doughnut and black coffee. As he sits there, munching his doughnut and sipping his coffee at 3.30am in the morning, in in walk eight or nine provocative, loud prostitutes just finished their night's work. They plop down at the counter and Tony finds himself uncomfortably surrounded by this group of smoking, swearing hookers and he gulps his coffee, planning to make a quick getaway. Then the woman next to him says to her friend, you know what, tomorrow's my birthday. I'm going to be 39. To which her friend nastily replies, So, what do you want me to do? A birthday party? Huh? You want me to get a cake and sing happy birthday to you? The first woman says, Oh, come on. Why do you have to be so mean? Why do you have to always put me down? I'm just saying it's my birthday. I don't want anything from you. I mean, why should I have a birthday party? I've never had a birthday party in my whole life. Why should I have one now? When Tony heard that, he made a decision. He sat and waited until the women left. Then he asked the fat guy at the counter, Do they come here every night? Yeah, he answered. The one right next to me, he asked, she comes every night? Yeah, he said. That's Agnes. Yeah, she's here every night. She's been coming here for years. Why do you want to know? Because she just said that tomorrow's her birthday. What do you think? Do you think we could maybe throw a little birthday party for her right here in the diner? A cute kind of smile crept across the fat man's chubby cheeks. That's great, he says. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I like it. He turns to the kitchen and shouts to his wife, "Hey, come out here! This guy's got a great idea. Tomorrow's Agnes's birthday, and he wants to throw a party for her right here." His wife comes out. That's terrific, she says. You know, Agnes is really nice. She's always trying to help other people, and nobody does anything nice for her. So they make their plans. Tony says he'll be back at 2.30am the next morning with some decorations and the man, whose name turns out to be Harry, says he'll make a cake. At 230 the next morning, Tony's back. He's got some crepe paper and the other decorations and a sign made of big pieces of cardboard that say, "'Happy birthday, Agnes!' and they decorate the place from one end to the other, get it looking great. Harry had gotten word out on the streets that there was going to be a party at 315 And it seemed that every prostitute in Honolulu was in the place. There were hookers wall to wall. At 3.30am on the dot, the door swings open and in walks Agnes and her friend. Tony has everybody ready. They all shout and scream, Happy birthday, Agnes! Agnes is absolutely flabbergasted. She's stunned. Her mouth falls open. Her knees start to buckle and she almost falls over. And when the birthday cake with all the candles is carried out, that's when she totally loses it. Now she's sobbing and crying. Harry, who's not used to seeing a prostitute cry, gruffly mumbles, blow out the candles, Agnes, cut the cake. (laughs) So she pulls herself together and blows them out and everyone cheers and yells, cut the cake, Agnes, cut the cake. But Agnes looks down at the cake and without taking her eyes off, it slowly and softly says, "'Look, Harry, is it all right with you if... "'I mean, if I don't... "'I mean, what I want to ask is, um, "'is it okay if I keep the cake for a little while? "'Is it all right if we don't eat it right away?' Harry doesn't know what to say, so he shrugs and says, "'Sure, if that's what you want to do, keep the cake. "'Take it home if you want.' Oh could I?' she asks. "'Looking at Tony, she says, "'I live just down the street a couple of doors.' I want to take the cake home. Is that okay? I'll be right back, honest. She gets off her stool, picks up the cake and carries it high in front of her like it was the Holy Grail. Everybody watches in stunned silence and when the door closes behind her, nobody seems to know what to do. They look at each other and they look at Tony. So Tony gets up on a chair and says, What do you say? We pray together. And there they are in that hole in the wall, greasy spoon, half the prostitutes of Honolulu at 3.30am listening to Tony Campolau as he prays for Agnes, for her life, her health and her salvation. Tony recalls, I prayed that her life would be changed and that God would be good to her. When he's finished, Harry leans over with a trace of hostility in his voice. He says, hey, you never told me you was a preacher. What kind of church do you belong to Anyway. And in one of those moments, when just the right words came, Tony answers him quietly, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30am in the morning. (laughs) Harry thinks for a moment and in a mocking way, he says, no you don't, there ain't no church like that. If there was, I'd join it. Yep, I'd join a church like that. Can I encourage us? both individually and collectively to produce fruit, to do things, to act and behave in ways that are clear evidence that we're disciples of Jesus, that we follow him, that we learn from him, that we imitate him. Thanks for your patience. Heavenly Father, we thank you indeed for your word and we thank you that Jesus showed us what love really was, that it was to the ultimate that he gave his life for us. Father, challenge us, each one of us, and as a church, to act and to behave in ways that clearly show to others that your love is at work in our lives. Father, this week, help us to choose to clothe ourselves in those attitudes and those actions and those responses that show people that we are disciples of Jesus. Amen.